welcome to We Are Teachers, where you will hear conversations around the realities of teaching in the world today. I am Hazel Pulley. I'm the CEO of Excelsior Multi Academy Trust in Birmingham. I'm really excited today to have Professor Colin Diamond on our very first podcast. How are you doing, Colin? Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for the invitation, Hazel. And uh, good to see you as ever. Oh, that's great. I, I just want to reminisce of, of how we met, really, because it was really great. You were a director of education and children's services in Birmingham. And uh, I just loved your leadership at the time. It was just out there, cutting edge and raw. I loved it. But you've also done other things, haven't you? You have been associate head and, and worked for DfE and now University of Birmingham, professor of educational leadership, I believe. So great to have you here. Well, thanks very much. And um, yeah, bringing things up to date. Yeah, so it's a privilege to work at the university. We have strong networks with lots and lots of schools across Birmingham and the West Midlands. So very much keeping in touch with what's happening in schools right now. And what's happening right now, gosh, it's like... I don't know, flipping like ducks on water, isn't it? I really feel, you know, it's hard work for us all out there in education and what graft people are putting in. But it's not really that I want to talk about. It's I want to put our heads up and look at what's coming at us, Colin. What's the future going to look like in education? Gosh, I think we've got about half an hour schedule for this call. And that (laughs) is such a massive question. (laughs) I know. Um, I know. It's a bit like an Ofsted question, isn't it? When you're in the room and you get this humdinger coming at you. But what is it going to look like? Well, what do we know? We, we, We know that the pandemic and everything it's made us do in short order has led to a lot of people reconsidering, well, what is education about? What is schooling about? Uh, what are the most important things? And when we contemplate returning to what we used to call normal, a lot of colleagues are saying, hang on, do we want to go back to everything we, we have done historically? So I, th- I, th- I think the jury is still out on that. Mm. Um, what do we know for sure? The one thing we know for sure is that um, the technology has leapt forward probably about 10 years in 10 months. And I know that lots of teachers are still quite uncertain about this, but we know that we can use the technology to make remote learning work. And that has huge, huge potential advantages. So we've got something new in the repertoire that we didn't have a year ago. But at the same time, and I think it particularly relates to primary schools and particularly early years, we know that one of the main functions of uh, being in school, state education, if you like, is is socialization. And children need each other. Um, (laughs) We talk about social distancing and bubbles and all of that. You can't work the early years like that. Kids need to hug each other. Um, They want hugs from adults. Uh, I know as a man walking into an early year setting, because there aren't that many men in early years, the kids literally grab hold of your legs and they they just want to be with you. And um, gosh, we're missing that right now. So yeah, the technology has shot forward, but my goodness, are we missing 
all of that socialization, that play, that fun, that is such a fundamental part of, of education and learning. It is. And I feel that warms my heart, actually, because with my own grandchildren, who are all under six, that, that their, their parents are desperate because they're missing socialisation. And it changes those dynamics, doesn't it? it just, I feel for parents, do you think we're giving them enough support? Do you think we will enable them to have more support in the future, having learned from this? Well, uh, I take my hat off to the work that schools in Birmingham, and I know it's the same in the other cities across our communities, are doing to support families right now. Uh, I know that some of your, your colleagues in, in Small Heath are literally going door to door with learner materials. Mm -hmm. um, we've got families where English isn't the first language. A lot of the parents were terrified what was happening in the first place. They weren't mm. accessing the medical services. They weren't accessing the sort of social welfare net because they were frightened to go out. They didn't, you know, there was so much fear in the community. Um, yes, so yeah. what I've seen there is, is a big shift in the role of schools towards the community. This happened mm. almost o overnight during, during lockdown one. And... I know that lots and lots of support is being given directly face to face on the doorstep, um, delivering food. And then there's a lot of stuff happening online. Uh, lots of lessons are being produced. There's lots of ways you can access learning online. But another thing that schools have been doing is, is walking around the streets with laptops and dongles because we uh, you've seen this on the news. We've seen situations where in, in some families, five or six children are sharing one tablet. And that's yeah. not, that can't be right, can it? Because you've got the, the, the eldest of the family studying for GCSEs, BTECs and A-levels. Uh, and, and, and the youngest one's desperate to get on board to see some of the more fun social learning activities that are going on. So um, I think part of the problem is about managing expectations here. You know, we hear about yeah. uh, schools are being instructed by the government to provide three or four hours learning online, and that's fine as far as it goes. But it's also producing a lot of guilt in, in, in the process about what is good enough here. Um, and I, I, I don't yeah. think that helps. We're, we're all finding our way through this, Hazel. I think that that's really interesting about the online, as you were saying, and yes, we need to get those resources out. But once we've got those resources out and children are, more children are being able to access the education that's on offer, what is it that's on offer? I mean, there's the Oak Academy, and I read your piece that you'd written about um, Oak Academy, and it was, a, it was a fabulous initiative that was out there. It was interesting, though, because at the same time, I think I read a tweet from Sir David Carter saying this could be a game changer. So where's that going to lead us in the future? How is that going to change? What's it going to change? Very good question. So, yeah, I wanted to write about Oak for a number of reasons. And I had the, the piece in the Times Ed supplement over the summer. Um, I think I wrote that that £29,000 that Gavin Williamson first invested is probably his wisest use of government money yeah. anywhere. Because we talk about a multiplier effect. So he gave it to the, the two guys uh, who, are, who are behind Oak and all credit to them for their energy and purpose and dedication here. They mobilized 
an army of teachers across the country who were rolling out these oak type lessons, which are very traditional, you know, the, the beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, so I, I was thinking if I, if my kids were younger at home, I could use those lessons. They're quite functional. And I, I thought, well, gosh, suddenly you have a national curriculum for real, because this clearly has the imprimatur and the backing of the Department for Education. Uh, mm -hmm. And they like what Oak is rolling out. The downside for me was that, well, it wasn't exactly progressive at the time, but I don't want to be churlish about it either. So what was one of the very first subjects to appear? Latin. Now, uh, you know, I learned Latin at the Boys Grammar School in Liverpool. Uh, I really dearly wish I'd learned Italian. So when I go to Italy, because nobody speaks yeah. Latin these days. So Latin was right up there in the vanguard. Um, it looked like initially, this sounds very harsh, but a watered down grammar school curriculum. Uh, it, it's improved since then. It's, it's, it's widened out considerably. There's a lot of stuff now about early years, a lot of content, uh, which is much more inclusive. But yeah, direction of travel. Um, we can see how from central government by ordaining this particular approach and ordaining is an interesting word because they had the Archbishop of Canterbury doing whole national assemblies for schools yeah. and this is wonderful yeah. in some ways because you've got the Archbishop of Canterbury and suddenly thousands of homes and schools can access a very you know a, a, an assembly like that well this is where the technology comes into its own but do we want to over rely on this? No way, no way. It was very interesting what you put in there. I think you, you mentioned um, about, could this rebase the curriculum? And you know, that really put me on edge because just what you've been saying, it's, it's a direction that we're going in. Yes, widening. So what do you think will happen? So Oak is out there, your fear of rebasing the curriculum what should we be doing as leaders what what should i be doing even to to sort of counteract that that thought well what what i find intriguing is i talk with heads most days um that i can't find that many that are actually using oak um they're using a combination of well, they're, they're, they're being eclectic, they're being magpies, they're, they're, they're pulling in material from wherever looks best for their pupils, and they're creating some themselves. And I would advocate that, that sort of blended, blended approach. Um, we would never at school rely on one set of textbooks, one publisher. So I think it's about being selective and eclectic in what we choose and thinking what works best in our situation. So for example, down the road in Birmingham, the mat, has been very productive in manufacturing, producing on online learning materials. Mm -hmm. It shares them with everybody. You can go to their website. I think there's some great material there. So I think that um, in, in schools like yours, which are quintessentially inner city with re relatively recently arrived migrant communities, what hits the spot culturally in your schools is gonna be a little bit different from what mm -hmm. works in rural, Worcestershire uh, Absolutely, and, yeah. and I know I know because I know I do know your school well that, that you customize and adapt the curriculum accordingly so I think it's about holding on to the vision and values that are particularly important in your school wherever you are in the country and selecting what works for you and that you'd never put all your money on one horse I, I agree with you but that's a lovely opportunity isn't it to customize I love that when you 
can take it right to the heart of your families and communities needs and your children you talked earlier about the importance of socialization um in the young ones and we agreed totally my concern also is for secondary because if we are saying or feeling that this use of internet as we said you said at the beginning is exciting and it's it's going to probably we're going to take this further my worry there is that even for secondary even probably students at university the, the space that the university or secondary school creates brings in an equality doesn't it and I often feel I've seen on TV where we've had um, interviews. There was one last night that made me think a great deal. And it, the broadcaster was interviewing a child at home. And I just looked at their environment, their background. It was exciting and stimulating. And it made me really think about some of the communities that we work with in Birmingham. They wouldn't have that background in their house. And where's that? So where is this internet working going to lead for equality what's going to happen there do you think well i think i think it's a tool in in education we we never talked it we talked ict and the c being of course for communication so we're not techies you and i aren't techies we we we, we use all of this equipment to enhance uh and, and enrich and learning so in secondary, and I'm thinking of what uh, my colleagues at the University of Birmingham School itself, the secondary school um, just off the campus down there, uh, down South Edgbaston, what they're doing is, I, th I think, harnessing the best of the technology whilst at the same time being very invitational to all students who don't have an advantageous home background. So come in come into school please because we've got the books we've got the computers we've got the calm spaces for you to learn in um, some secondary students will be absolutely fine at home and and if that works for them that's great but i i mean you you know i'm a, a glass half full thinker and what we now see with uh the way that uh, the technology is working is what i wanted to see 20 years ago so for example imagine in, in a local authority area in a multi-academy trust um think of the very top history teacher whose specialist subject is for example world war ii that's it's a classic it's a bit stereotype um she can record a lesson which can then be available across hundreds of schools and the teachers back in those schools can use that as the tableau for their own teaching so when you've got that expertise and it does exist across our schools all of our history teachers have different passions about what part of history they particularly uh, enjoy teaching let's let's harness that on technology let's share it more widely because that's definitely an asset so make it make the technology work for us but be mindful of the profound inequalities that we have in our society and keep the schools open and in, invitational for those young people who need all of the assets the human assets the teachers who can guide them through at school and all of the equipment the books the machines and everything else we can make this work uh, and i know again thinking of 
what the University of Birmingham School is doing, and I know many, many others are doing it as well. Uh, I keep in touch with St Paul's uh, Girls School over in North Edgbaston and see how they are working with the, the young women, both pastorally and in terms of delivering the curriculum. And it has to be that blend. Yeah, that's really exciting. It's made me think here, as I'm looking into the future, could we offer a sort of pick and mix for students and pupils maybe at the end of primary that there's some home learning time that's coming to school? If you say there's going to be that plethora of curriculum, well, could that be the answer? Um, I'm a bit nervous about that because what we've always said is that if the children aren't in school, generally they are at risk of something we don't want them engaged in. Um, I think the crossover point comes around the transition between GCSE and then post-16 study. Uh, and at that point, you know, some young people will go off to general further education colleges. They, they are young adults. We, we trust them to uh, begin to navigate their way through all of these different forms of learning. I'd be very nervous about uh, a pick and mix approach to anything significantly under 16. But we have to prepare the students for more autonomy, for more independence, well, as you do, starting with the little ones all the way through. Yeah, I, I take your point there. And it, uh, we, also, we do need to be cautious. But I'm a bit of blue sky thinking here. Could it be that with all this tech now and, for example, at Excelsior, all our kids have a, will have a laptop guaranteed by half term. Then at home, the exploration is wild, isn't it? They can go anywhere. Could we offer a more customised personal learning, learning package in some style? I don't know, could that be assessed externally? Could it be part of your SAT? Yeah, um, in terms of, to use one of our words, pedagogy, all the different kind yeah. of approaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is no reason why you cannot take further up the age range the way in which we will see the young children learning quite independently in nursery classes, nursery schools, reception, um, a lot of that because of the hyper accountability culture we have with, with weighing points around the end, at the end of key stage one and so forth. Um, a lot of that is squeezed out as you get into what I personally consider is over formalized primary education. I think we look for inspiration here to our early years colleagues. They, they can have 15, 18, 20 uh, young young children, four-year-olds working relatively independently, highly independently, and, and a lot of that is lost later down the line. So yes, yeah. you can do that. If you want examples of what this looks like in practice in secondary, you go to the XP uh, free schools over yeah. in Doncaster. XP has been doing this for quite a while. Uh, and if you go to School 21 in the East End of London, established by Peter Hyman, who was Tony Blair's former advisor, you'll see what he calls the, the head, heart and hand curriculum rolling out. The way we see this happening in School 21 and in the XP schools is very different to the more traditional subject-based curriculum 
and it invites lots and lots of independent learning and exploration in learning. So yeah, we, we could do that. And of course we could assess it differently. We, we currently depend on a very traditional form of final examination yeah. at 16 plus. Um, we're well nigh obsessed by it in this country. Almost all of our European neighbours and other developed nations around the world don't have 16 plus assessment like this. So there are many ways you can do it. Perhaps one of the ways we can think about is more of an international baccalaureate way of assessing which is all about bringing the arts, the science, the languages together. Oh, that, that's interesting because I would so welcome a change in how we assess our students at certain ages and our children. It, it's just so static, isn't it? And I think that's yeah. one place where we could take the future. That's really exciting. I did pop down to Schools 21 and we brought back Oracy 21 and Excelsior's really pushing that. And we're doing a conference for children. Well, we booked it at the MAC, but whether we can have it. So it's a competition in oral speaking. So we're really pulling that up from Oracy 21. It's absolutely great. So if we are going to try and change things and maybe have some blue sky thinking where's that going to come from is it i'm just thinking of your university can, do you, can you push that or is it are you going to be looking at us leaders in the field to see where we think things could move to i think everyone's welcome to the party here yeah. um, what what universities can bring is a lot of really good and up-to-date research on how children learn uh, optimal ways of learning that is wonderfully free of dependency on what the government thinks we should be thinking about because there's no doubt that this government has a preferred uh, model of education the ideology is very clear the rollout is very clear it has what i would describe as a very a small conservative set of approaches toward curriculum, behavior, leadership, organization, academization, and so forth. However, um, there are more ways one on than one. There's lots of different ways of doing this. And to give you an example of what we do at the university, so School 21, you've been there, you've seen what it's about. We invited Peter Hyman to uh, lead a seminar for us just before Christmas and this uh, everyone's come along you know it's it, it's a open invitation to everyone to listen to Peter talking for 40 yeah. minutes about his vision what's made it work so far how it can develop next so um I, th I think we, we we it should be a, a fusion of uh, what universities bring to the table what school leaders bring to the table. Uh, there's no right or wrong here. And as I mentioned earlier, the best school leaders are very eclectic at selecting what works for their communities, like, like you've always done at Parkfield and other schools that, that, that you worked in. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of kind of divisiveness out there at the moment. It's, it's either, we hear this so often, don't we? It's either the, the traditional route or the progressive route. Yeah. I don't think any of that helps. I think it's about finding your way through the middle here. If I go back to my teaching, my own school teaching, it was a mixture of things. Some days I needed to be pretty 
authoritative, in my, authoritarian, if you like, in my classrooms. I needed law and order to teach. Of course I did. On other occasions, we really took the breaks off learning and went yeah. down some fantastic exploration of topics, the ones that the kids are really interested in. So yeah. bring it all together and let's have, let's have a national discourse about this that doesn't depend on what the government is telling us to do. It's about what educators working with their local communities feel is the best way forward for their kids. Fabulous to hear because in Excelsior, 1st of February, we are starting Innovation Fortnight. Andy Street, our mayor, has launched it, is launching it for us and we are going to go and everybody in our trust can offer up ideas and the prize is money and time to put it into fruition once you've got through our dragon's den so i think uh, it's going to be amazing and i do think innovation is the way forward and i'm excited and i think it's the time is now i was reading one of the davos agendas and it was saying that in that uh, comment they'd made was that major world events are often an inflection point for rapid innovation and i'm so excited that we're, we're here so yeah we might be little ducks swimming along madly but if we raised our head what is it telling us this is a is a great opportunity well i mm. i feel it is do you, do you think it is do you think this is a bit of a turning point oh for sure for sure um so if you think about world war ii as an inflection point for our society, there was an election in 1945 and a radical Labour government, as it happened, was elected. It was a landslide because people did not want to go back to what the way they'd lived in the 1920s and 1930s. So we can and must use what's happening at the moment as an opportunity to reflect on what we used to call normal and use that lovely phrase about blue skies thinking think how we can improve things once the breaks are off when we can all get back together in schools universities societies mixing together um i i i think on one level getting back together is going to be hugely reassuring we all need to see each other we all need to drink yeah. coffee together and tea together and like you know be in the staff room together um and that is a huge, just a, such a fundamental, basic human want. As teachers, we are people, people. We want to be back together. But let's not go back to how it was exactly. And let's present to our government, to our new children's commissioner, fresh ways of thinking about how we can use the power of state education to improve society for the long term. Because the one of the reasons we're in this mess right now is because we are abusing the planet. We are overusing it. We're burning up its resources. The population's growing too rapidly. Uh, the planet's on fire, it's overheating. And, and we can't stay like that. So the whole issue about sustainability and compassion for the planet, surely that needs to come more center stage. Uh, and there are people who've been thinking about this and working about this in the background for a long time. Time for their work to come more centre stage. Absolutely. And that's probably a good place for us to end, Colin. I think we could talk forever because we've all things that we could probably want to, to pick up again from when we last uh, uh, met. But I just want to thank you so much for fitting us into your busy agenda and keeping those students going at the university and for launching our podcast. 
that's been really great and great resonance between us. Thank you very much, Colin. Well, thanks for the invitation. Really enjoyed seeing you again. We haven't had a proper chat for quite a while. We've got just a bit to catch up on. And yeah. uh, good luck to uh, all of you at Excelsior with the, the podcast series. Keep in touch with us at the uni. Let us know how we can help and let's stay working together. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you to you for listening. Don't forget before you go to hit subscribe and you can listen on all your favourite platforms. We will be there. Bye.